Two men who were often polar opposites are being praised, often by the same admirers. What Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and William F. Buckley had in common was more important than their differences. Today we look at how understanding the dignity and worth of every person gave both of these men a foundation for changing the world in which they live. This is Jerry Johnson Live from Criswell College. Join us as we look at today's news from the Christian worldview for Christ and culture. Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. December 7th, 1941, a date which will live in infamy. I have a dream. It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yes. And the people who knock these buildings down will hear all of us soon. We will not tire, we will not falter, and we will not fail. Welcome to Jerry Johnson Live. For the next hour, this is your place for relevant discussion of topics in the news and in our culture from a Christian perspective. Your host is Dr. Jerry Johnson, president of Criswell College and Criswell Communications. Later in the show, we'll open the toll-free lines for your questions and comments. You may also email us at talk at jerryjohnsonlive.com. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jerry Johnson. Martin Luther King, Jr. was killed tonight in Memphis, Tennessee shot in the face as he stood alone on the balcony of his hotel room. He died in a hospital an hour later. Well, it's been 40 years uh, since that news report was given about the assassination of Martin Luther King, Jr. Uh, that influence on our culture, both the man's life and uh, his courage and his willingness to stand up and bring about a transformation uh, that, frankly, had to take place in our culture, uh, as well as his assassination and the ramifications that followed from that and have impacted our culture ever since are, are, are profound. They could not be overstated. I think we're all aware of that. And because of that, uh, on this 40th uh, uh, anniversary of his assassination, we have to say something about Martin Luther King Jr. and his influence on our culture. Um, his uh, legacy is part of what we want to talk about, but it's not all we're going to talk about today because uh, a nation is more than an individual and his influence. And there are influences that come from all kinds of different positions and places uh, that bring us to be what we are. Now, you know right, right by now uh, that this is not uh, Jerry Johnson who's actually speaking to you, but instead Barry Creamer uh, sitting in for him. It's a great privilege to be with you uh, this evening. We had planned originally on just talking about uh, theology and Bible questions today and basically making an open line Bible and theology time. I still want to be able to do that uh, through most of the show, and so if you come up with a Bible question, a theology question later on, I want to be able to talk about that. But we have to talk about something today, because not only was Martin Luther King Jr. being eulogized today in a number of different ways, but also, uh, now this is, don't, don't get off track just because I say this, but also William F. Buckley Jr. was being eulogized in places today, because uh, there was a memorial service for him that a lot of uh, people attended, a lot of famous people attended, and so everybody heard about the William F. Buckley Jr. Memorial, I'm sure. And uh, 
I mean, you talk about somebody who is a polar opposite to Martin Luther King Jr. and his positions politically and socially uh, back, especially during the 1950s, but also during the 1960s. You know, that's um, I mean, these two guys were opposites. If anyone had suggested in 1965 that William F. Buckley Jr. and Martin Luther King Jr. would be fondly eulogized by the same population, by the same people someday, they would have been considered mad. In fact, if they'd said it in 1965, they would have been mad. I mean, uh, it would be impossible to predict. But that's exactly what's happening today. And what I want to point out is why that's happening and what it is that makes this so important. Now, we're all familiar with the tremendous impact of Martin Luther King Jr. in general on the civil rights movement. Probably his most famous impact was was uh, during that speech, uh, during the, the march on Washington that he gave. And uh, we're all familiar with this sound clip. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. I have a dream today. You know, the power of his speaking is so profound, and that's what I wanted to point out here. It's not just, it's not empty rhetoric either. He's actually communicating something effective. Now, there are a lot of times that rhetoric is powerful and uh, what's communicated is terrible, but he really was communicating something powerful in this speech. Now, I know that there are some negative things that ought to be said about William F. Buckley Jr. and some negative things that probably ought to be said about MLK Jr., but we need first to recognize the impact they had, even in terms of rhetoric. Man, did he have a dream and uh, a willingness to commit to it and to bringing it about. And I also want you to remember that that dream was built for him, not just in fantasy, but in real hope and a hope that he founded in his faith in God. When we allow freedom ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, from every state and every city, we will be able to speed up that day when all of God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the old Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, thank God Almighty, we are free at last. And indeed it is the Lord Almighty that we would give thanks to for whatever freedoms we possess, but especially as an enslaved people or a people under oppression of any kind. Uh, to give thanks to God is just the appropriate thing. And so, uh, man, I, I remember the first time I read that speech when I was in high school, just found it in a history book, and I was reading through it. Uh, I've been uh, a public speaker since I was in eighth grade, so I was always impressed by speeches. I loved uh, reading Williams Jennings, Bry- William Jennings Bryant or whoever uh, I found that had given a, a famous speech. And I found this speech, and I read it. And uh, I remember sitting in high school. I'm not an emotional person. I just do not. Uh, I don't weep. I don't. I, I just don't. I, I'm not that that way. Maybe I should be, but I, I just am not. But I remember sitting in high school reading that speech, and by the time I got to the end of it, uh, I was crying. I, I I could. I was just overwhelmed by the import of what had been said and. Uh, the style with which it had been spoken, because it indicates the commitment that he had to it. Now, the interesting thing here is that Martin Luther King Jr. is not the only one who's a profound rhetorician, able to speak in ways that influence people profoundly. Uh, But also, the other man that we're eulogizing today, William F. Buckley Jr., was a profound rhetorician. We could pick almost any 
uh, clip from him on uh, firing line or anywhere else where he was debating, uh, and it would have a profound import. You know, he ran for mayor one time. He ran for mayor for New York City. Uh, it was a minor campaign. I mean, it was uh, largely reported because he was a public figure, but uh, it, there wasn't any possibility he was going to win. In fact, they asked him, uh, if you win this election, what will you do? And he said, I would demand a recount. Uh, nobody expected him to win, but in the debate uh, with his liberal Democratic opponent at the time, uh, in the debate that he had with him, uh, one time they asked him a question, and he said, now I can't quote him, but it's basically this. He said, I am content to sit silently and contemplate the eloquence of my former speech. <laughs> That's what William F. Buckley Jr. said. Because, I mean, truly, you would listen to this man and just be awestricken by the power of how he was able to speak. Uh, so I want you to hear just a little bit of William F. Buckley Jr. addressing the question of, uh, no, actually, uh, do we have the Buckley quote next? Is that the one? Okay, good. Uh, I want you to hear a little bit of him addressing uh, our belief in God. Listen to what he said. I've always liked the exchange featuring the excited young Darwinian at the end of the 19th century. He said grandly to the elderly scholar, how is it possible to believe in God? The imperishable answer was, I find it easier to believe in God than to believe that Hamlet was deduced from the molecular structure of a mutton chop. <laughs> that rhetorical bullet has everything, wit and profundity. I just love hearing that man speak. I know some of you are thinking, if you're on one side or the other of the issues historically that divided uh, Martin Luther King Jr. from William F. Buckley Jr., then you've got to be thinking to yourself, how awkward is it that you're trying to put together these two men? But it's not awkward at all. The foundations which they value, which gave them the motivation, the impetus to get up in the morning and make a difference difference in the world is the same foundation. And it's it's probably the most threatened thing in our culture today. And to me, it's the scariest thing that we're losing. And that's what I want to be able to point out today, uh, right now, and also in a few minutes. Now, I want to continue on this because uh, what he said at the end of that line, that rhetorical bullet, he said, has everything, wit and profundity. Now, just him saying it make, makes it sound profound, but the truth of the matter is he's referring to profundity as something that's greater than us, something that has significance to it that has to be dealt with, and that motivates William F. Buckley Jr. He's not just thinking, how do I make more money? Who do I vote for so that I can get more things? How do I solve the immediate problem? There were times when he was pragmatic, and he regretted that later. He made some bad decisions because of it. But at the core of his values and his decision-making process and the policies that he represented was his belief that there was something beyond us that ought to motivate what we do. And when we lose that, you know, we lose everything. Listen as he continues to speak in question to the answer of the existence of God. It's more than once reminded me that the skepticism about life and nature is most often expressed by those who take it for granted that belief is an indulgence of the superstitious. Indeed, they're opiate, to quote a historical cosmologist most profoundly dead. <laughs> granted that to look up at the stars comes close to compelling disbelief. How can such a chance arrangement be other than an elaboration near infinite of natural impulses? Yes, on the other hand, who is to say that the arrangement of the stars is more easily traceable to nature than to nature's molder? Mm. What is the greater miracle, the raising of the dead man in Lazarus, mm -hmm. or the mere existence of the man who died and the witnesses who swore to his revival? Oh, man, now that's a profound statement. 
What is the greater miracle, he said, the raising of the dead man and Lazarus as if that sign in a moment of time would be the most profound thing that could be in this world? And then he said in contrast to that, is that really the greater miracle or is it the mere existence of the man who died, Lazarus? and of the witnesses who swore to his revival. Not that they swore to his revival. Hear what, hear what William F. Buckley Jr. is saying here. He's saying the most profound miracle is not that a man died and rose and that there were witnesses around who testified to the fact that he rose. The most profound thing is that that man ever lived. The most profound thing is that those witnesses had life to begin with. Now, I understand that part of what he's saying here is just that for the earth to be what it is, for life to be what it is, for humanity to be what it is, is evidence of a great mind and an intelligence and a purpose and a designer who intended for us to be here. It's an appeal uh, to what's often called the cosmological argument and from a different angle and what he's probably focused on, the teleological argument. We'll talk about that later if you're curious about it. But more important than that, underlying these statements is a foundation to William F. Ju- uh, William F. Buckley Jr.'s belief system that uh, really lays the work for everything that he does. And I'm telling you, it's the same belief that Martin Luther King Jr. had that motivated what he did. It is the belief that every human being has dignity, that every human being is of worth. In fact, uh, there's no doubt if you asked anyone, they would agree with this, that what motivates Martin Luther King is the denigration of masses of people because of what was categorized as their race, uh, moving him to act regardless of the risk that was involved for him personally. And we're going to talk more about how he overcame that risk and used his courage and his courage really to stand up and say every human being, not just black, not just white, but every human being, hence his motivation to serve in nonviolence, even when he was being violated, his willingness to offer his life when there was a man waiting to take it from him. Uh, that worth of every individual life is also the foundation to William F. Buckley Jr.'s conservatism and his advocation of rights and even defining himself as a libertarian on occasion. Hey, this is Barry Creamer. And you're listening to Jerry Johnson Live on the Chriswell Radio Network. Join us again right after this break, and we're going to talk some more. If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. 
I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. Now, that's a great—I wish that was me. I, I wish I was able to speak like that. Man, uh, what, what a profound impact that speech has had on our culture. And uh, what a great idea is expressed in it. What I want to point out first is that you realize the foundation to the I Have a Dream speech is the equality of men. That's not equality at a low level. That's not bringing down the worth of everyone so that we're all peons. That is, the quality of every person is indicated by their worth their dignity, their significance in this world, and therefore everyone ought to be treated that way. And what I'm pointing out is that that's also the foundation to William F. Buckley Jr.'s values, everything that he espoused. Now, I want to invite you to call in in a few minutes. If you're uh, thinking about this topic, you might be saying, well, you know, how am I going to call in on that? What am I going to ask or what am I going to say? This is what I want to ask you. If Martin Luther King Jr. or William F. Buckley Jr. has had an influence on you, either on your life or the way you think or the experiences that you've had, I'd love for you to call in and share that with us. Now, I know you're saying to yourself, uh, surely, I mean, surely you could point to ways in which you realize that the civil rights movement, for instance, has influenced you and changed you. I mean, it was in 1964, I believe, that Martin Luther King Jr. won the Nobel Peace Prize already by 1964. So his influence is profound and uh, inevitable. And if you've been influenced by him, if you know that his ideology or his courage or uh, his recommendations and then all Ultimately, his commands and changes uh, have had an impact on you and your personal life. I would love for you to call in and share that with us. The phone number is 1-800-881-9270. That's 1-800-881-9270. You feel free to call in and just say, this is how he impacted my life. But you might also be thinking to yourself, well, William F. Buckley Jr., you know, I watched a show or two. I thought he was an incredible debater. He never lost anything. He's, uh, but, but it's much, much more than that. If you, if you say to yourself, I'm a Reagan conservative, and man, I'm a Reagan conservative. I'm a Reagan free market conservative. If you say to yourself that that's true, you are a person who is the heritage of William F. Buckley Jr.'s ideology. I mean, he, this is the, the common uh, language of it is to say before, yes, exactly right. Uh, our producer was just saying he was Reagan before Reagan was cool. Before Reagan, there was Goldwater. Before Goldwater, there was the National Review. And before the National Review, there was William F. Buckley Jr. Uh, you know, it, it's just the tr- his ideology, his conservatism has a profound impact on our culture. And if you are a conservative like Reagan, then you are influenced by William F. Buckley Jr. I just like to know uh, how you think that comes about. I mean, what on earth is going on when people are running for president during the 1970s and don't care about uh, the issue of abortion or uh, life? What's going on with that? Why, how is Reagan able, able to resurrect that? What, what brings that back to pass? So anyway, you, you call if you have a, a comment or a question about either one of those things. All right. Uh, we actually ha- already have a couple of callers on the line, and then I'm going to go back to making a few comments that we need to about uh, Buckley and King and the influence they've had on our culture and the thing that unites them in the worth of human beings. So, uh, Kathleen, uh, you're on Criswell Radio Network with Barry Creamer. Uh, What's on your mind? I think on two levels, Martin Luther King influenced me dramatically through my years. Number one, it was his bravery in sticking to a cause and doing it with the purpose of nonviolence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Right. I, I mean, I, that, that, that's incredible. Now, I, I want to ask you about this because, I mean, what I, 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 of course, I knew about his assassination all my life. I was born in 1963, so I was just a little child, and uh, I've known about his assassination my whole life. But, you know, when I realized that he knew ahead of time that this was going to happen and that he was courageous enough to stay committed to the cause, not to hide out, but to take his stand, I was profoundly impacted by that. And, Kathleen, I want to ask you to respond in just a second, if you don't mind staying on the phone, uh, to this clip. Listen to this. Maybe some tear gas ahead. Yes. I say to you this afternoon that I would rather die on the highways of Alabama than make a butchery of my conscience. Yes, sir. <laughs> say to you as we march, don't panic and remember that we must remain true to nonviolence. I'm asking everybody in the line, if you can't be nonviolent, don't get in it. If you can't accept blows without out retaliating, don't get in the line. If you can accept it out of your commitment to nonviolence, you will somehow do something for this nation that may well save it. Now, uh, Kathleen, the reason I wanted to play that for you, and just get your feedback, uh, you're calling from Waxahachie, is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the reason I wanted to get your feedback is just to know, I mean, when you hear that, um, do you, uh, I, you know, we, we, uh, like I said, we've grown up knowing that he, that he died, but does it have more impact on you knowing that he knew how dangerous the mission he had accepted oh, yes. was? Absolutely. And the other thing is, is that that's part of his courageousness. He was courageous right. on many, many levels. Number one, he was courageous to his faith. Right. Number two, he was courageous to the, the noble cause right. of equal rights yeah. and, right, and, and respect. And as you already put, to the highest level of character. Yeah, that, that's you know, exactly and, right. And, and how many of our leaders today that we have to pick from... Mm. To make our next president, oh, can man. we hear say that kind of a speech and go, "Oh yeah, they really believe that and they live it." Oh well, man, none that I can see. Oh man, I'm going to tell you if you know if a baby is a problem, if a baby is a curse of some kind, uh, then somebody doesn't respect human life like they're supposed to. Uh, ca- second yeah. level. Yeah, go right ahead. A handicapped person. Okay. And I've been handicapped. I'm 54. Been handicapped since I was 15. And the rights that we had at 15 when I was 15 in 1969 are very different than what we have today. In 69, they wanted to put me, because I walked on an artificial leg, in the educatable and trainable MR classrooms. Wow. So that my artificial leg didn't make it uncomfortable for the other students to see me walking with a limp. Oh, man. Uh, the world has absurd? changed since then, hasn't it? it isn't it absurd today yeah. when we think about that? But yeah. that's the battle. But, but the world I has changed, you know. being courageous because yeah. of him. Yeah, that's right. I've read two of his uh, biographies because I just, he was a man. Yeah, he yeah. He was a human, a person with feet of clay, just yeah. like you and I. Sure, sure. Not a. Not, yeah, that's exactly right. It's important to remember that. Not a saint. There are some faults that we would ascribe to Martin Luther King, associating with some of the wrong people, some of the wrong ideology, trying to change some things that didn't need to be changed. But that's a good thing about him. Kathleen, thank you so much for a fantastic call. Appreciate your input on this. John, appreciate your holding on the line for a little while. Uh, I know you've got an opinion about this from Crowley. I appreciate Crowley and that whole community. So, John, what's on your mind? Hi, I just wanted to 
voice a little opinion about how Martin Luther King has impacted me. I'm cool. uh, great. I was actually born in 1964, ah. and uh, so I lived a lot of it through my parents, mm-hmm. which, uh, as the lady alluded to earlier, was just the sheer bravery and the courage that it took. But not only from him, from those who he uh, impacted and, and followed the nonviolence approach to making change. Right. And um, sometimes uh, I'm so disappointed in how we've come so far and not actually utilizing those changes that were made oh, man. by Martin Luther King as, as, for example, the right to vote. Uh, right, right, sure. Fortunately, I, I mean, I'm, I'm an African-American, but my parents brought me up not to discriminate, even though they were discriminated against. They, they had a nonviolence approach. And I saw the same courage through them, through uh, their influence from Martin Luther King as well. And so we've always been uh, influenced to, to take advantage of those things that happened through the civil rights movement and, and right. try to progress and move forward and not look to the past. And this was the, some of the things in our leaders today that I'm really disappointed in and, and more of a, I wouldn't say it's a violent approach, but it, it's certainly some of the things that Martin Luther King influences Right, sure. It's, you know, it's not happening. One of the comments you made way. right at the beginning that's most uh, most impressive to me and most significant to me is how far we've come, and yet there is still this huge rift in our culture that we haven't addressed, and that's part of what I want to talk about today. Uh, you understand what I'm talking about when I say I that, John? I do. Yeah. So, uh, you know, what what on earth is it that maintains that rift? Let me just go back here, and John, th- thank you for a great call. I appreciate your input uh, today, and uh, I want to encourage anybody else that wants to call in and just say what influence has either of these men had on you, either directly uh, or indirectly through the civil rights movement with MLK or uh, through Reagan conservatism uh, with uh, William F. Buckley Jr. Uh, If they've had an influence on you, feel free to call in. We probably won't get to you until right after the break, uh, but I want you to call in and share with us the influence that these men have had on you at 1-800-881-9270. And I want to follow up on the fact that even though there were incredible sacrifices made, we, we still have this divide, and I think we can address some of that divide. Now, right before we go to the break, I want to play one more little bit of the courage that Martin Luther King Jr. had when he was approaching Selma. And some began to say the threats, or talk about the threats that were out. Uh, what would happen to me from some of our sick white brothers? Well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead, but it really doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop. I don't mind. That's his mountaintop speech from the night before he was assassinated in Memphis, Tennessee on April 4th, 1968. And uh, in that speech, he says, I really don't mind that I'm going to face this violence. I really don't mind that there are people who are out to take my life. I really don't mind what I'm going to lose because what I'm defending is worth it. And what, what he was defending was the worth of human beings, human beings that he cared about, and human beings that God cares about, too, and that we care about on Jerry Johnson Live. And uh, we're going to come back right after the break for your calls and some more discussion.
You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. All right, welcome back. What we've been talking about is Martin Luther King Jr. and William F. Buckley Jr., uh, both being eulogized today for different reasons. Uh, of course, William F. Buckley Jr. died earlier this year in February, and uh, uh, Martin Luther King Jr., we're observing the 40th anniversary of his uh, assassination uh, in Memphis, Tennessee. So we've been talking about the values that they hold in common, and uh, we haven't really been able to focus on how those values come to bear. And I'm, I'm going to get to that in just a little bit. We've got a couple of callers that have been holding on the line for a couple of minutes, so I want to make sure that we get to them right away. And I also want to encourage you, uh, if you have a comment on the influence of either of these men on our culture, or if you want to comment on how they both influenced our culture with that same value for the worth of human beings. And if we lose that, we lose everything, including the liberties that we hold at the basis of American culture. And we'll talk more about that in just a minute. But first, I want to get to Kat in Plano. Thanks so much for calling, Kat. What's on your mind? Well, thanks for taking my call, Barry. I just wanted to make a comment about how Dr. King influenced me personally because I was born in 1962. Ah. My parents were of the mind that he was fighting. And it caused a lot of conflict in growing up when uh, I was a teenager because I knew that that was wrong. And I just... You knew that fighting was wrong? Is that, is that what you're saying? No. Um, the attitude that my parents had ah, was the gotcha. attitude that Dr. King was fighting. I got you. And, and was very prejudicial, and I just oh, yeah. knew that that was wrong. I got you now. Uh, it caused a lot of conflict when I was a teenager and growing up, uh-huh. um, and, and still to, to the dying breath of my father was very prejudicial, and I just right. never was able to break through that. But it affected me personally so much so that I even gave Dr. King's I Have a Dream speech in one of my Toastmaster clubs accomplishing one of my goals. But wow. it was very difficult even... even wow. No notes. Memorized. As an adult. No. <laughs> um, but it was very difficult even to get through that speech, even as an adult. I can imagine. 40 years later yeah. in, in giving that speech, it just rang so true to my heart. So wow. I just offer that up for this. You know, uh, let me just ask you something, Kat, before you go off the phone, uh, because uh, all of us, you know, were raised in an environment where we were exposed to uh, some extreme prejudice at different times, because uh, it's sort of a blending of two different cultures going on when this transition takes place. And uh, I think, you know, I think we would say whatever prejudicial remnants we have in us, we're ashamed of, and we don't want to be there. And uh, we're doing everything humanly possible. I'm just talking to to you and the way I think myself, based on what you said said to me just a minute ago. Yeah. We're doing everything yeah. humanly possible to eliminate that from ourselves. I am, and I believe you are too. Is that right? Absolutely. Fair enough? I made a conscious yeah. decision back when I was 16, 17, 18 years old. I wasn't even able to vote just yet. Right. But it was, uh, that was one thing my father taught me, was that that right, right was fought for a price, and I, I didn't understand it, but yeah. I um, have voted ever since. So don't you um, find yourself in a position sometimes, Kat, where... Uh, you know, just a, a, a phrase or a, or, a, or a turn of an expression or the way somebody might have taken something makes you pull back. And, uh, you know, we've fallen into calling it political correctness. But, I mean, in reality, it's sort of a check on ourselves to make sure we haven't fallen into an old way of thinking. Do you ever have to deal with that? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I deal with it a lot, um, although mine was such a vehement decision back then. Um, I, I don't catch myself saying things like that, but I hear right. other people doing it. Right, right. But I do have to add one thing, that sure. it, in that decision, um, I do have to say, this is a total different discussion and argument, but I do have to say that in that conscious decision to try to swing the other way, we have not taught our children the values that they need to learn. Right. And, 
and today's, um, you know, it happened on our ship that the kids today do not understand the values that we grew up with. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we are responsible, just like they were in Deuteronomy 6, for conveying our values to our children so that they can Absolutely. learn these things also. Kat, thanks for a fantastic call and uh, for being able to give some really insight, insight, meaningful insight to the discussion today. Um, I, I, we've got our phone lines full right now, but I do want to encourage you to call in if you have a comment on this, on the influence of either of these men on our culture or on you personally. Uh, Joanne and Wiley, thanks so much for holding on the line. I appreciate your calling, and I want to hear what you have to say. What do you have to say? Well, I just want to say, Cap uh, was born in 62. Well, I graduated from high school in 1962. Okay. And from a high school in Utah where there were no blacks. Wow, okay. And I had met very few in Nebraska right. when I went to school there, but my father always taught us to uh, learn about people and judge the person, not the color. Yeah, good good for him and good for you. And Yeah, and I had a friend who ended up having a mixed baby at the same time I had my daughter. Mm-hmm. And I would go to visit her, and so many of her friends shunned her. And I never really experienced a lot of the prejudice where I was at. Suddenly you ran I into just, it. Yeah, it just amazed me. And she told me one time, you know, you don't have to bring your daughter over to visit if she would understand. Well, at that time, little did I know that 20 years later, my daughter would marry a man of the black race. And her first son was born on Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. And uh, you wouldn't be proud of that baby, would you? Oh, just a little bit. Okay, all right. Uh, fantastic. Good for you. turned 18 this year. And, yeah, And that's... I just dropped him off at his job on yeah. my way home from work. Yeah. And she had a second child who will be 17 this month. Well, fantastic for you, and congratulations. Now, and, you know, I thanks. I never really ran into the prejudice until I came really the Texas. Yeah, well, I understand. I, you know, I, I, I'm not, I mean, that is that is a part of our culture. We have that in our background. We can't pretend we didn't. And that's, but, you know, it's not unique here. So I've got no particular shame in saying we, we have that Southern influence. Uh, and we want to overcome it. Man, Joanne, thank you so much for calling and for sharing that with us. I, I do want to say to everybody, uh, if you're out there and listening and you're saying to yourself, oh, it wasn't that bad or, oh, it's not that big a deal. I mean, you really need to face up to reality. I mean, I'm, as a pastor, going down and preaching revival. I remember hearing men, when I was a teenager in the 80s, I remember hearing men say that a black person had no soul, that there was no reason to witness to them. Uh, and, I, you know, I'm talking about men who were respected in their community. Uh, that's, that's just, that's horrendous, and not only horrendous, but an indication of just how far we had gone in our thinking and how difficult it is to pull us back out of that morass. But in the same way, you know, it's also hard uh, to overcome uh, the embarrassment of just thinking that you might say something that indicates an attachment to that way of thinking rather than another way of thinking. In fact, even in the no-spin zone, you know, the Bill O'Reilly no-spin zone, I was watching him talk the other day about, um, oh, I, he was speaking with Mike Huckabee about Huckabee's interaction with Hillary Clinton if he were to ever debate her. And Huckabee said, well, I've debated some women before, some female candidates. And he said, it's difficult because you have to walk a fine line. And what Bill O'Reilly wanted to say in response was, oh, and not only that, but if you were to debate Obama, of course, you'd have to walk a fine line since he's a black man running for president. That's what he wanted to say. I've never heard a man. This is in the no spin zone. You know, Mr. Courage, Bill O'Reilly. I've never 
heard a man dance around a sentence for as long as he danced around that sentence. He he said, well, and, you know, if you were to have to debate a candidate who uh, managed to accomplish what uh, nobody else has managed to accomplish to the level that he had, uh, you know, you'd have the same issue. <laughs> he just avoided anything that might lead to conflict. I understand why, because we really do want to distance ourselves from that mindset that denigrated an entire group of people based on what we called their race. All right, uh, Gina in Dallas, thanks for holding on for so long. Gina, what's on your mind? Well, I just wanted to say that this is a pretty tough issue. It um, is. Um, and um, that Dr. King has uh, his I Have a Dream speech really influenced me because as an African-American female, it shows me just how far we haven't come. Right. And you talked about the gap, how much farther we have to go um, as a people. For African-Americans, we haven't made as much progress as we need to because of the racism that's still here. So what do you think is going to change that? This, I want to I ask you about this, Gina, because I really want to know, what do you think is going to change that? I think some very honest conversations. While we have conversations with each other that are on the surface, all it takes is one circumstance where it pressures on. That's you right. You know, off in traffic, or you say, look at their child a certain way, right. or you bump into them, right. and before you know it, a racial slur has come out. Mm-hmm. So that says that it's buried somewhere, and if there are very subtle undertones now, mm-hmm. it just takes the right pressure and the right situation to bring it out. Well, you know, when people, okay, look, when I agree with this, Gina. You've said a lot of important things. I want to add to it that when people share the same values and they spend time together and they talk about issues that are important to both of them and uh, they resolve conflicts together, then, then, then you start building relationships that can actually have an impact on the way people know each other. Wouldn't you, I mean, you agree with that, right? Absolutely. It's all about education. Actually, it's surprising you're having this show because a friend of mine and I uh, have been having this conversation for the last week, and she's actually uh-huh. Canadian white. Okay. <laughs> Did you say Canadian white? Yes, which is in her, uh, from what she says, is different from American white and American Southern white. I don't truly understand it, but we've had some conversations that have left both of us perspiring heavily because <laughs> we have conversations to have. Right. But what we do is ask the tough why questions. Right. Why well, uh, okay, see, now that's my point, asking the why question, because, you know, saying that we're going to educate people not to be prejudiced anymore isn't going to change the fact that the way we're talking is as if we share no values, as if we have no elements in common that can bring us together. And, and that's my point for today. And, Gina, I, I just want to thank you for your call because we're coming towards the end of the, the, the segment right here. We're going to have to take a break. But, man, a great call, Gina, great input. And I just want to say to everybody, all of us, we have to more seriously think about the fact that we do share a value in common. It's not always expressed and it's not always talked about, but it really is important. The foundation to conservative morals, the foundation to our view about abortion and life, the foundation to our view about economics and the free market, the foundation to our view about what rights individuals have and why they have them are in the same value that Martin Luther King Jr. had that provoked him to stand up and say, I have a dream. I have a dream that we will not always be separated, that we will not always be divisive, but that at some day my children will stand hand in hand with the children of those who are separated from them by force right now. And I want to talk about that basic value when we come back after the break. So you're listening to Barry Creamer on Jerry Johnson Live. Stay with us as we continue to talk about this incredibly important issue to the Christian worldview on Jerry Johnson Live. 
If you're looking for a college experience that is distinctively Christian, come to Criswell College. Contact us today for information about the upcoming term. Criswell College places a strong emphasis on the Word of God, a Christian worldview, and being an effective witness to a world that needs Jesus Christ. Criswell College is totally committed to the Bible as the authoritative, inspired, and inerrant Word of God to ensure that every student receives a solid biblical and doctrinal foundation. Our worldview approach to ministry prepares every Criswell College student to view each academic discipline through a Christian frame of reference and to engage our culture and the world of ideas from a Christian perspective. Along with this word and worldview emphasis, each Criswell College student gets hands-on ministry training in missions and evangelism to be an effective witness through mission trips at home and abroad. Contact Criswell College today for information about the upcoming term. Call 1-800-899-0012 or on the web go to criswell.edu. That's chriswell.edu. You're listening to Jerry Johnson Live. Now here's today's host, Dr. Barry Creamer. Of course, each of the candidates today was weighing in on the anniversary of the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. And I uh, wanted to give us an opportunity to hear what they're going to say in just a moment, but or hear what they said in just a moment. Uh, let me just point out to you that next week uh, we have some really impressive authors and uh, leaders in the Christian community who are going to be on Jerry Johnson Live. John Maxwell is going to be here on, or, or be uh, speaking with us about his new book on leadership, John Eldridge on his new book on walking with God, and Norman Geisler is going to be on to talk about Christian apologetics. And I mean, those are three huge names in the Christian community. So I encourage you to be listening next week when all of that's going on. Now, Again, with the anniversary of Martin Luther King Jr.'s death and also uh, the memorial service for William F. Buckley Jr. going on today, uh, we have a great opportunity to look at the significance of the value that motivated each one of them. That is the value for every individual human life. And uh, it's not, I'm not, I'm not saying that what motivated Martin Luther King Jr. was a pro-life position in terms of the issue of abortion. I, I'm not saying that. But I am saying that the value that he held most fundamentally that motivated him and his nonviolence and his advocacy for uh, those who were underprivileged or underrepresented or who were actually being abused or neglected in a society, what motivated him is the same value that causes us to speak out for the underrepresented and abused in other areas as well. And the th- every Everything about William F. Buckley's uh, view of the world, his system of thinking, is based on rights. And rights, he even called himself a libertarian half the time, sometimes Republican, sometimes a libertarian. A libertarian is a person who values rights above anything else, and that is negative rights, meaning a right to be left alone. I have the right to be left alone, not the right to take your stuff, but the right for you not to take my stuff. That's the goal. So rights language is all about individual liberty, but you have to understand that when we say that, We're not saying that individual liberty means, all right, I get to rebel against authority. It's my life. You can't tell me what to do. That's not what liberty is about. Liberty is about the worth of every individual. If every person has the same value, then I cannot impose what I want on them simply because I want them to have it. I can't say, I'm the king, so I get to run your life. That person has the same worth I do, then they get to become king. And lo and behold, in a democracy, that's what we are. That's what liberty represents. That's what rights represent. It is all about the worth of every single individual. 
Now, I mentioned earlier uh, that each of these men has some things about them that ought to have been criticized and that was criticized in the day. And it's, uh, you know, it's not, uh, it's not couth uh, to criticize a person who gave his life for his cause and his cause was good. And Martin Luther King Jr.'s cause was good. But there are some things that he did that he had to retract from himself. And he did. He retracted from them often. So, uh, and he still faces criticism for these things a lot of times as if he had never turned away from it. I mean, for instance, uh, on occasion, he would fall in with those uh, who would sacrifice even the value which motivated his attack on racism. I'm thinking in particular of Bayard Rustin. Uh, you may have seen his story or heard his story, the Brother Outsider story. Uh, and, you know, he's a man who was associated with all kinds of ideals that, that would oppose Christianity uh, explicitly. Uh, including homosexuality and communism, and, and I mean explicit communism. I don't mean it was in, inferred on him in some way. I mean, he embraced the U.S. Communist Party and things like that. And he had a huge influence on Martin Luther King Jr. And, and MLK had to separate himself from that in order to avoid being caught in that trap. But, you know, when you're in a setting where things need to change, sometimes you aim at things that you want to change that aren't really the target and don't need to be changed. We didn't need to give up democracy in order to value the individuals that were being neglected in our culture at the time, and we still need to preserve that today. William F. Buckley had his share of faults, too, and his were obviously more outstanding, more notable. Uh, Historically, I mean, for instance, in the 50s and the early 60s, he was diametrically opposed to everything Martin Luther King Jr. stood for. So uh, he, you know, wanted to conserve some things that needed to change, and he recognized that as time went by. He changed his mind about it. So as we look back on Martin Luther King Jr., we're not sanctifying him. We're not pretending that he's uh, so holy that nothing negative could be said. And so today, even men who had disagreed with him before agreed with him. McCain uh, made some comments in a speech today to recognize the value of Martin Luther King's contribution. It wasn't just force of personality that made him the man he was. It was the power of truth spoken with a servant's heart and a voice like no other's. Now that is an honest comment about Martin Luther King Jr. And I'm going to come back to McCain's speech in just a minute because he says something else in it uh, that I think is worth hearing and that ought to be taken into consideration. Obama also spoke today about the significance of uh, King's contribution. Through his faith, his courage, and his wisdom, Dr. Martin Luther King moved an entire nation. He preached the gospel of brotherhood, of equality, and justice. That's the cause for which he lived and for which he died 40 years ago today. Now, for Obama to uh, recognize the significance of King doesn't surprise us because of his own affirmation of King's influence in his parents' life and his personal life and so on. So none of that surprises us. But I'm telling you, when your former opponents are standing up and saying that they were wrong and that you were right and that you had the right impact on the culture, then you've had an impact on the culture. And McCain did exactly that in this part of his speech. We can be slow as well to give greatness its due. A mistake I myself made long ago, I myself made long ago, when I voted against a federal holiday in member of Dr. King. And, uh, you know, McCain's admission there parallels what happened with Buckley in his life. I mean, Buckley had done some ridiculous things in the National Review. I spent a lot of time reading the National Review back when I was at UTA working on my last degree and uh, because I was reading popular intellectual uh, material. Boy, he just said some ridiculous things and some sad things as you look back on it historically, but which he believed adamantly because he wanted to conserve something, like I said, a part of what did not need to be conserved at the time. So uh, his desire to do that 
led him to uh, you know promote racism basically to advocate segregation in the South. But by 1968, he had completely reversed himself on that. And uh, even in the 80s, he was one of the ones who stood up and said we ought to have a national holiday to recognize Martin Luther King Jr.'s significance. So that's a profound thing. But it also indicates that he recognized the values that they shared. And let me just remind you of those values in these words from Martin Luther King Jr. Like anybody, I would like to live a long life. Longevity has its place. But I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain. And I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know the night that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. Uh, I doubt any of us could have stood there and listened to that and not been stirred, even if we disagreed with him at the time, and I, I wasn't around at the time. I just want to say to you to remind you that it really is the importance of every life that matters, but not just that a life be long. Longevity is not the key, but that a life be given to the purpose of God. That's what we're all about. Thanks for listening to Jerry Johnson Live. You've been listening to Jerry Johnson Live, a Christian worldview radio show. Join Dr. Jerry Johnson, President of Criswell College and Criswell Communications, Monday through Friday at 5 p.m. for an hour of relevant discussion of news and culture from a Christian perspective.